This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livas. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, preserving your wealth. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livas, and today we're diving into an area that we have yet to explore, estate and asset protection. So get your pen and paper ready because our guest is one of the best in the industry. And hopefully by the end of the show, you'll know how to project, plan, and protect your assets. Lisa McCurdy is managing partner at the Wealth Counselor LLC, a boutique estate planning and asset protection law firm. Her team, along with her network of resources, counsels clients with a net worth of two to fifteen million dollars in the U.S. and abroad. Lisa's team specializes in helping her clients appear as less attractive targets to predators, while minimizing income and estate tax liability. Lisa is also the founder of the Defining Legacy Group. This organization was designed to start multi-generational conversations in a family to document their legacy, where their motto is legacy on purpose. I am so excited to welcome Lisa to the studio with me. Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Happy to be here. (laughs) So... The Woman Behind the Business show, we really try to focus on the woman and give some light to like the things that she knows, um, the different things that you have accomplished over the course of your career. And so I definitely want to start with the estate planning. And it's not a a sexy industry at all. No, it is not. (laughs) And so in reading all of these amazing things about you, I'm like, what on earth made you go into this industry? That's a very, very good question, because in law school, I had not planned to practice law traditionally at all. Mm -hmm. I thought I would use my degree for international affairs and business development types of activities, not traditional legal Mm -hmm. practice. But as it has happened for many, your calling comes to you. Mm -hmm. Our parents had us very late in life, so my first cousins are, you know, 20 years older than I am, and parents were 50 and 38 and 40 years older than I, so, um, and my sisters. So we started to see a need for estate planning, um, planning one's legacy, planning for incapacity Mm. much earlier than others would, Mm -hmm. and the experience of serving as a fiduciary, power of attorney for someone, legal guardian for another uncle, um, really changed my life. I saw the need for more information, accurate information, mm-hmm. and I started to focus more and more on estate planning and asset protection. And there you have it. And how old were you when you had to take on these roles? Uh, late 20s, early 30s. So... You know, decades before most people have to address these types of issues. Right. And so one of the things that you mentioned was the lack of information or accurate information. So when you're working with your clients, what are some of the baseline things that you establish when working with them? Well, one, we ensure that they understand their documents, their plan will be tailored. Mm. You know, traditionally, historically, you would meet with an attorney, provide a bunch of information, and when you came back, you're signing documents that you you really have no idea what's in them. Mm -hmm. Um, Very intelligent, very distinguished, very successful people 
you know, 10 million, 15 million, don't even know what <laughs> what they've said in their documents. Um, so we start with the understanding that it's a collaboration, that you know your circumstances, your family members, those who should be fiduciaries, and frankly, those who should not, mm-hmm. best. And so it starts with a collaboration with you, the mm-hmm. client as an expert. Mm-hmm. Now, how long does that process take? And, you know, is it... Something that should be ongoing, like I know a lot of times people walk in there, but like, whoo, that's taken care of, over and done with. They stick it in their safe and they keep it moving. But what should actually transpire? Well, that's a good point. You mentioned it's not a sexy topic, so you're right. But we're (laughs) trying to make it a little sexy. We're actually trying to get people to focus on the legacy aspect. So when you're building your legacy and you are thinking about um, that uh, gift that you're going to leave to your community, gift that you're going to leave to your family, mm-hmm. not just the tangible assets, but also intangibles, um, you know, those lessons learned and things, it becomes a little bit more sexy. So okay. um, if there's a major life change, you know, birth, death, um, major health circumstance mm-hmm. or change, obviously change in capacity, Uh, Those are the types of things that um, trigger a need to focus on your documents again Mm -hmm. or just, you know, a change of heart with Mm -hmm. respect to (laughs) any of your goals or or interests. Um, But those are the types of standard things we, we would recommend if there's a death, birth, major life changes. Okay. Now, I think the other area that can be rather scary for individuals is the language. Um, So what is estate planning? And a lot of times people are afraid to really have that conversation and ask. And personally, I don't think in Googling, you're going to get like a real nuts and bolts of what it is and how it's applicable to you. So in an overarching, you know, definition, can you share? Absolutely. Estate planning is really establishing your legacy. It's determining um, with your assets and um, other treasures whom you are going to care for um, during your lifetime, after your lifetime, mm-hmm. and planning for uh, any term, any circumstance of incapacity during your own lifetime. So you want to choose individuals who will make sure that your plan is realized mm-hmm. and um, you want to make sure that that plan obviously is in writing, detailed, and that you've collaborated and understand the plan and agree with it. Now, how should that plan be written? I get in many of debates. So before going out on my own, I was an AARP. So I did many of things in working with seniors and a lot of programming on this very topic. Um, but a lot of people who are my age, they have an understanding of what a will is or what a trust is. And they're like, oh, I write a, a will and everything's taken care of. But I've been taught differently, even though like when you first started in that industry, I was like 24, you know, having these conversations. Right. Um, so can you explain to us what a will is and what that kind of guarantees when it's time to put that to use? Well, this is going to be shocking. hmm. A will really doesn't guarantee you much. Mm -hmm. Um, It uh, does allow you to outline your wishes. However, a will must go through a probate process. Mm -hmm. That means that a lot of individuals 
will have the opportunity to weigh in mm-hmm. on how your plan will be implemented when you're no longer here to speak to it. Mm-hmm. So there will be a judge involved. And of course, they attempt to identify your wishes and see those through in your documents. But there may be an individual who um, has an interest, who weighs in and wants to tweak some of those uh, ideas and plans. And if they seem to have authority, that might change things a bit versus mm-hmm. a trust. A trust is really an asset management um, uh, system that you establish during your lifetime. So you are not only establishing it, but you're also implementing your plan during your lifetime. You get a chance to really see it working, what works, what doesn't work, and Mm -hmm. to tweak it. Um, And a trust allows for the private transfer of assets, the private transfer and administration of your estate versus a will, which requires a probate process, which is public. And if you can imagine um, those individuals who may want those things that your beneficiaries are to receive, uh, a public case is not really where you want your assets exposed, your beneficiaries exposed, and for them to become susceptible to that information being public. Now, with the will and going through the probate system, does that also mean that there are additional costs involved in having to go to court? Well, there definitely can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to do a lot of comparisons here between Which trust and wills. <laughs> so with a will, um, initially, it's less expensive to prepare. Mm-hmm. So that's that's for sure. It's a more simple document because so much of the administration and the... Um, it's on the person. Right. Things that get determined are when you're no longer here. So it's really kind of an entry platform versus a trust, which is very tailored and detailed and includes that entire system within it. If, for instance, you own property in more than one jurisdiction, if you have only established a will, a probate process has to occur in each one of those jurisdictions where you have property versus a trust Mm -hmm. that is more expensive initially Mm -hmm. but can help to save funds down the road because you've kind of done the heavy lifting during your lifetime. Now, around about figures, about how much does it start, you know, cost to, you know, establish a will and a trust? A will is, and this is going to be a bit of a broad range Mm -hmm. um, because you can include a trust that's established at your death in your will. So the most simplistic will, um, when you're working with a lawyer, and I recommend that versus online. (laughs) (laughs) No legal Zoom, (laughs) y'all. It could start around 500 and go maybe even to 1,500. A trust starts usually around 3,000 and can um, really uh, possibly exceed you know, $5,000, $6,000, depending on how complex it is. Um, and in certain circumstances can reach even far beyond that if there are certain types of assets involved, certain decision-making, um, if there are, for instance, collectible artworks mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. things like that. An entire system needs to be developed within your trust to preserve those items, to um, create a system for loaning them to museums, etc. 
Now, you also mentioned that with a trust, um, once you establish it, you can get to see how it's working. What exactly do you mean, like how it's working? Does it become an investment for you or can you explain that a little bit more? Absolutely. Well, when you establish a trust, you transfer your assets out of your name into your trust name. So specifically, I'm I'm speaking about a revocable living trust. There are different types of trusts, mm-hmm. but a revocable living trust is that tool that, as I mentioned, allows you to collect your assets during your lifetime versus a will where your assets are collected when you're no longer here. Mm-hmm. And so it makes it a little bit more difficult sometimes to find things. So you're collecting your assets, you're retitling them in the name of the trust, and you are able to serve as your own initial trustee. So you're administering your own trust initially. Mm-hmm. And you'll be able to see how that works, for instance, with respect to financial institutions, retitling an investment account and how that operates, mm-hmm. retitling property and how the trust operates and how it will operate in the hands of your successor trustee when you're no longer here. Now, do a lot of businesses utilize trusts? And a lot of business owners utilize business trusts. Business owners, okay. Absolutely. You can build into your trust a succession plan, a succession plan for your business where you are transferring the authority to make decisions about your business either during your incapacity or when you're no longer here to sum things up or to transfer authority, operational authority and ownership. Mm -hmm. So a lot of business owners um, do and or should (laughs) establish a trust and include those types of provisions and instructions. Okay. And so one of the things that you've been doing for I believe like two decades now or over two decades possibly um, is helping families and businesses protect their assets. So what is and why is a comprehensive um, asset protection um, plan or insurance? I, like what exactly is it and why is it important? So it's, it is multidimensional. Um, you definitely need to have your entire team at your disposal to help to establish the best type of plan. So in addition to your estate planning attorney, your insurance professional, your financial advisor, and your CPA or accountant, Mm -hmm. because each one of us in the team have our area of expertise, um, and we can help to establish that comprehensive plan, that plan that speaks to how you want to be cared for if you're incapacitated during your lifetime, that plan that speaks to the types of assets you have, who should manage those assets now and in the future, whom should benefit from those types of assets, and those individuals whom you trust to implement your plan. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really uh, an opportunity to kind of establish a 360 um, really shell of protection and some level of certainty that your interests, that your goals, that your wishes will actually be seen through. Okay. Now, I know your ideal client has a pretty high net worth, but for the everyday person or small business owner, what are some things that they should be mindful of uh, when it comes to like their investment planning? Mm-hmm. Well, 
They should, in addition to, of course, working with a financial advisor, um, devising a plan, budgeting, um, preparing for for retirement and those types of things, um, preparing for um, children's tuition and college and that sort of thing, is to make sure that that plan isn't going to be derailed. Just derailed. Um, if one spouse or the other should, you know, unexpectedly no longer be here. Mm-hmm. If that income suddenly uh, is removed, there should be a plan in place, which is why insurance is one of the best first defenses um, in preserving your estate plan and legacy and your wishes. Mm-hmm. With insurance um, proceeds, obviously, the liquidity can be very, very important in making sure that a business can continue on, um, making sure that, um, you know, the basics of certain payments can be made. You know, you never want your family to be in a circumstance where they're grieving Mm -hmm. and they're also worried about the eviction, how Mm -hmm. are they going to get bills paid, you know, their lives. So you want to make sure that um, those things are taken care of in your planning. Now, this one I feel like we kind of touched on, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Um, a lot of times it seems that death breeds chaos within families. What are some different things that you can do as a family to ensure that doesn't happen? Well, I'm glad you asked that because that really focuses in on our defining legacy group um, method. And, you know, over the years, we saw very Uh, intelligent individuals, very intelligent clients get very close to planning, but then pull back. Mm -hmm. And there is the focus sometimes on death and dying. And there's a concern that um, maybe you're not sure which family member or friend um, or other individual could really manage your assets. Mm -hmm. And so there's a hesitation. And the hesitation can lead into years of inaction and then no plan. Um, An individual dying uh, intestate, as we call it, so Mm -hmm. without a plan, without a will. So we established Defining Legacy Group to begin those conversations. It's important for families to come together and talk about those types of things, talk about assets, talk about expectations, build that sense of comfort and security around individuals, younger ones, older ones, who may need to take on certain roles, share information about family health. It just provides a different level of preparedness. And we find that after we bring families together, whether it's at a family reunion, Mm -hmm. I know that's a a novel idea, actually do a little work at the family reunion, (laughs) but it's fun work, it's fun work. Um, Or at a family meeting for for these types of conversations, they are often ready to move forward with their planning in a very meaningful way, Mm -hmm. in a very um, uplifted way. Mm -hmm. They're focusing not on the death and dying, but, you know, what type of um, statement do I want to leave behind through um, instructions for giving Mm -hmm. um, with the assets I leave behind? What types of um, intangible and lessons do I want to leave to my children um, when I make sure that they are able to advance their degrees or establish their first 
business mm-hmm. with the assets that I'm leaving behind. So um, those types of conversations are always wonderful, lively, and people leave with smiles on their faces versus um, probably their expectations of these types of conversations. <laughs> now, now, do you lead those conversations? I do. I okay. do. Okay. Um, and I have a few folks on my team, including, um, you know, coaches and all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. So it's an interesting, lively um uh, experience really. Mm-hmm. And it really is multidimensional. Um, you know, you'd be surprised five-year-olds have something to say about this. Oh, I'm sure. You know, five-year-old, <laughs> <I have a> 15 <laughs> year olds have something to say about these things, but they're rarely asked. And when you start that dialogue, it builds comfort in the matriarchs and patriarchs. Okay. I'm ready to make these decisions and mm-hmm. put them in writing. And it builds a sense of responsibility in the younger ones to achieve at a certain level because they learn that, you know, they're valued. Mm-hmm. They they're have a part voice of the conversation. and they're part of the conversation. Exactly. Now, do you have a workbook? Or a book? Mm, it's coming. Okay. <laughs> I mean, because it sounds tuned. like the perfect workbook, yeah, you know, to be able to, you know, whip out and, you know, be like, so X, Y, and Z, you absolutely. know. Now, another question kind of around this is I remember one of my guests um, that I had w- with another show um, had shared with me that he had planned his whole funeral. He knew what he wanted. He didn't want to leave anything up in the air for the family to um, have to figure out or leave for interpretation. Is that something that you also work with people on, especially, you know, if they know that it's coming close to the end of their time? Not directly. We certainly include in our booklet um, that it holds the plan, Mm -hmm. a sheet that guides an individual through establishing all of those components of their funeral or home going or, you know, what they would like to call it. Um, But we don't get directly involved. But again, we encourage people to put certain things in writing Mm -hmm. um, that they would want to. We do, however, help some clients to create um, a letter that they'd like to leave behind with their documents. Mm -hmm. And it's really just um, kind of a statement of their intent. Mm -hmm. Um, It's personal between the, um, you know, parents and children or spouses. Mm -hmm. Um, But, uh, you know, it's usually a couple of pages, sometimes longer, but it's just an additional component that gives some context Mm -hmm. to what's written in legalese. (laughs) So how do you coach children on having that conversation with the parent and saying, mom, dad, are your documents in order? You know, not that I'm thinking about losing you, but I want to make sure that your end of life wishes are being granted. I want to make sure that, you know, I understand where we are financially and then who acquires the debt and all of those things. Like, do you coach people for them to be able to have those conversations? We do. We do. We found that a lot of adult children of aging parents with Mm -hmm. aging parents um, often are concerned about seeming 
greedy. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of guilt around beginning those conversations. So we suggest that they start with mom and dad, if you should fall ill, who would you want to make decisions for? How would you want to be cared for? Do you want to stay in our home? Is there someplace, another city where you'd love to spend your last few months or years or where you'd like to recover? Mm-hmm. If you focus on Ma'am. them mm-hmm. and while they're here, not while they're gone, they become ready for the com- the rest of the conversation. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of where you enter the conversation. If you enter with what types of things do you have, where do you have them, who's getting them, <laughs> <laughs> that changes their perspective, <laughs> the dynamic. So if you focus on them, how do you want to be cared for? Oh, I know you've always loved you know, gardens. Mm-hmm. If you can't weigh in on your care, would you want to be in a place that has beautiful gardens? You can start with those types of conversations, and you'd be surprised how um, individuals open will open up. Oh, this is so good. Okay, so thank you so much for sharing all of this information because I think that it will really bless someone's life that's listening to our audience. Make sure you stay tuned. We'll be right back with Lisa to talk about a recent appointment that she just received. So stay with us, and we'll be right back after our tech talk. It's time to get techie with Tech Talk. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today I have in studio with me, Miss Jalisa Johnson, and she's going to talk to us a little bit about Liquid Space. So what is Liquid Space? Liquid Space is a app to find space to use daily, monthly, yearly for the business owner and or consultant on the go. So it's like um, a remote or yeah, like a remote office. Or is it for events? It's for anything that you want to do. You can rent Wi-Fi. You can rent um, club rooms. You can rent a a desk for the day. You can rent a conference space, hotel rooms, um, bed and baths. It has anything that you need as a business owner. Really? So talk to me a little bit about how the, the hotel room space works. It is like an Airbnb for space. It's just another way... Um, that they've come up with space to rent. So today you'll find that a lot of hotels are in this same liquid space app mm-hmm. where you can now go and sit in a hotel lobby where before you would go and sit in a hotel lobby because you were probably a guest there. Mm-hmm. Now you can go and sit in a hotel lobby and you can rent their Wi-Fi. You can sit in a hot seat and you can work from the lobby. No different than you can from Starbucks. Mm-hmm. You can't just go sit in Starbucks unless you're clearly going to buy a Starbucks beverage, although people do it and, you know, but people don't say anything. Mm-hmm. But Starbucks um, Wi-Fi is not necessarily secure. So hotel lobbies are now asking you to come into their hotel and rent a space for the day and giving you secure Wi-Fi. You can also rent their conference rooms. You can rent all of these different collaboration spaces that come up in the district, in um, Maryland, in Virginia. They're just collaborative spaces. Now, is there like a monthly membership or can you do it just, you know, Download uh, the app. a la carte? It's a la carte. If I only need it for an hour, I purchase it for an hour. They are as low as $17 for an hour, $35 for an hour, $4,500 for a month. It's just what your budget um, is looking for and what you're looking to do, how much space you need. You can do teleconferencing. You can do phones. 
there's so much in liquid space. Oh, so you could potentially like rent out a boardroom mm-hmm. at a hotel or mm-hmm. that is awesome. Not just a hotel. Okay. But people have apartments. People mm-hmm. have all type of spaces that they are converting to create collaboration spaces. This is like the newest thing. I love it. I love it. Thank you for introducing us to that. You're welcome. I know somebody's going to be blessed by Liquid Space. <laughs> I will definitely be checking it out. And if you want more information on Liquid Space, visit us online at wbbtalk.com. Welcome back to the Women Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and we are continuing our conversation with Miss Lisa McCurdy, Managing Partner of the Wealth Counselor LLC and founder of Defining Legacy Group. She is also, drumroll, the recently appointed president of the Rotary Club DC. So congratulations, Lisa. Thank you so much. So this is so huge. And correct me if I'm wrong, but this makes you the first African-American president of the Washington DC chapter of the Rotary Club. That's right. As well as the fifth president that's a female. That's right. That's right. We're a a young club, 106 years old. Um, But we're a great club. We are um, super local in the community. We give at high numbers by supporting in excess of 30 nonprofits every year to the tune of $300,000 or more Mm -hmm. in community grants. And we've been at it since 1912. Wow. Yeah. We love having impact in the community in all eight wards. Um, I'd like to tell you a little bit about Rotary because I... Well, I was going to ask, but girl, don't take over the show. Give it to me. (laughs) Well, Rotary, and a lot of people are confused by it, is a community service organization. Okay. Truly global. You'll find us in the most remote city around the world. It's like 300 chapters, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And through a collaboration of clubs, we're able to do fantastic things like we are so close to eradicating polio Mm -hmm. around the world. And we're really proud of of that. Mm -hmm. Um, Locally, we, um, for instance, our club gives every third grader in the D.C. public and um, charter school system a dictionary. Why third graders? Third graders, that's the time when they'll either enjoy reading, begin to love learning um, at that level, comprehension and those types of things become super important. And a dictionary is so much more than words. You know, the Constitution is there, metrics, um, all kinds of great fun facts. And so it's where we can really excite them mm-hmm. about a book that's going to be their own. They can take it home. And it's tangible. Share with family. It's, it's not online. It's tangible and it's theirs. Yeah. And so we know in some communities, the books stay at school. They don't get to take the books home. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really love the impact, as I mentioned, in supporting um, organizations from those who work with former offenders um, being integrated back into the community to the homeless um, to literacy, um, every aspect of um, the community and making this world a better place for our D.C. citizens um, is what we are here for. Our motto is service above self, and <laughs> we try to adhere to that. Now, I don't know if our listeners can hear just how much excitement 
this brings to you. I mean, I mean, you gave me information on the other stuff, but you smiling, you cheesing. You're like, yo, let me tell you about my Rotary Club. It's such a great story to tell. And I think there's so much of the community that is unaware, mm-hmm. unaware that we're here um, and that if you have a nonprofit organization, you should be applying for so our community we'll service applying? grants. Every year we do this. Mm-hmm. Um, December 1, take a look at our website. Okay. We're ready to move. Um, and we're always open to receive wonderful new members who are civic-minded. Um, we have a super robust foundation. It's about a $7 million foundation, and we give the interest away. So it's a nice endowment that we will maintain and that we'll treasure um, over the years, and we should be able to do this great work for many years to come. And so the interest from the foundation is what you give away to award your grants and scholarships exactly. and things like that. That's exactly. awesome. Mm-hmm. What a system. Yeah. And with you as their president, you're going to tell them how to put everything in a trust and do this. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We are a larger club, 150 members, mm-hmm. um, very diverse group of individuals mm-hmm. and becoming even more so. Mm-hmm. Um, we are, you know, community leaders, we are corporate leaders, um, we are uh, artists, opera singers, we have a former oh, nice. professional boxer, female Yay. from D.C. in our group. Um, You're going to have to have her on the show. Ah, that's a fantastic idea. She's an author as well. Um, so it's really an opportunity for um, younger professionals to come into the fold and find those mentors Mm -hmm. and opportunities as well as more seasoned individuals who may be in the middle of their careers or even retired to continue giving and really making an impact in the community. Uh, We meet weekly for lunch. um, So, you know, you'll, we're around at all uh, times. At at your club? At the university club. Okay. The university club right in downtown D.C., it's a nice venue that helps us to draw some very interesting and fantastic speakers. We have great speakers every okay. um, week. And so come over and visit us. Okay. Absolutely. Be my guest. Now, I, I definitely will. Mm-hmm. I absolutely will. Um, now, when you joined, I believe that you joined um, the year of the centennial mm-hmm. of the D.C. chapter. That's true. What made you decide to join the Rotary Club? I really, really love community work. It's how I was raised. I've learned that you can have great ideas and a big heart, but frankly, with no resources, there's not much you can do. Mm -hmm. And so I loved that this organization, that this DC Rotary Club, the first in our district, and now we're 60 clubs in the district. Really? The district, including D.C. and Southern Eastern Maryland. Okay. Um, But that this club has done so much in the community consistently, some very sustainable projects and programs. We've touched lives that we aren't even aware of, Mm -hmm. and we have the resources to continue doing so. Um, It can be a dirty word sometimes in the nonprofit world, but you need money in order to um, implement your plan, in order to impact the lives of individuals, Mm -hmm. in order to see things through. And so I did a little research and um, was invited to visit, and that's all she wrote. 
<laughs> and in order to become a member, you have to be invited, correct? You have to be invited. Okay. Absolutely. Sponsored by a member. Um, you are interviewed by a past president. Um, we want to make sure you're committed, but we're very welcoming and, and, and looking for those individuals who are truly interested in giving back to the community, um, fellowshipping with some great individuals and kind of building our club, our organization and Rotary International um, mm-hmm. into, you know, the next uh, generation. Now, for you, um, being recently installed, what is your vision and your platform for for the next year? Well, you probably heard it a little bit in what I've said. I really want to expose Rotary to additional communities, Mm -hmm. to additional communities of um, civic-minded individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are some communities that are still... What, um, what are some of those in, mm, those individuals that you need to tap? Sure. So younger individuals. Um, okay, so that's why you want Angel to come Younger up individuals. <laughs> that's right. We actually have um, established about four years ago mm-hmm. um, a membership for those under 35 and okay. reduced fees and less... Um, requirements in terms of attendance. So we meet at lunch. We know everybody can't get away at lunch, mm-hmm. um, especially as a young person, but we thrive on your vibrancy. And so- Wait, is it 35 and younger? 35 and you younger. have to be under 35? You have to be under 35 for that um, <laughs> membership <don't> <laughs> level, but there are many different membership levels. Okay. And so, you know, we welcome- all individuals like you, know, you look so young. I'm sure you've heard that. Um, but we're welcoming every generation mm-hmm. um, from young individuals to more seasoned. And um, so the focus on communities, communities, mm-hmm. um, diverse communities, women, um, you know, we're, we're proud that uh, Rotary has seen its way. But Rotary welcomed women in only 30 years ago. Well, that was going to be my next question because within that time frame, because it was a, you know, um, male organization, Mm -hmm. white male Mm -hmm. organization. Um, And so as, you know, the first African-American female, the first African-American to have this position, um, I, I just I just think that is so commendable and I'm so proud of you. And I just I can't wait to see the work that you do and any way that I can help spread the word and the knowledge of the different things that you aspire to have happen in the community. I'm totally for it. Oh, wonderful. There will be those opportunities <laughs> to share, share, share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, Women Behind the Business is also a nonprofit. We have over 500 women in our network from across a majority in this area, but we also have women across um, the world. Like we have relationships with the Bahamas. So we do an annual retreat in Nassau. Um, We have interest in Brazil um, and potentially bringing the retreat there. So, you know, women entrepreneurs, leaders is our thing. Um, So, yeah, we definitely have to talk about how our women, you know, can learn more oh, about the Rotary really Club do. and all We that. really do. In addition to the local clubs oh, yeah. and then the uh, the um, zones. So a zone really includes um, maybe a thousand clubs or something like that. Wow. And our zone for Washington, D.C. includes the Caribbean. Oh, so there's some opportunities there. there. 
So club level, area level, district level, then zone. Yeah, there's some opportunities there. Yes, yes, yes. And it's so funny because right before I was on air, I was speaking with um, one of our advisory board members who resides in the Bahamas. She was like, oh, yeah, we have Rotary Clubs here. And I was like, oh, okay. (laughs) Good to know. I see some opportunities here. (laughs) Now, what is it that you aspire to do outside of even the Rotary Club? I know we've mentioned the book. Is it a book? Is it a workbook? Talk to us about that a little bit. I want to help families feel stronger, Mm -hmm. um, to be able to have these important conversations, to walk away feeling um, even more connected to their family members, ready to kind of build their empires, Mm -hmm. to um, create their legacies, to define (laughs) their own stories. Right. Um, And that's, that's my mission. That's my mission. Um, I love to see when families have those kind of aha moments and they start to collaborate and they start to work together. And, um, you know, the mother who wasn't quite sure whether her, you know, young adult son was ready for certain levels of responsibility. Once she starts to speak with him about these types of things and share more, Mm -hmm. learns that he's just been waiting to be asked. Mm. And that's just so rewarding. That's what I'm here for. Is that like your personal story between you and your son, or that's with someone else? No, that that that's more with um, well, clients in in the broader community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but but it's probably a conversation that's important between every parent and their child. You mm-hmm. know, we definitely have to watch our children evolve and including my son <laughs> to evolve um, into that person who's ready for X, Y, Z, you know, responsibility and ready to em- embrace those types of things. And for those matriarchs, patriarchs to understand that the conversation is not coming from a place where um, their loved ones are trying to, uh, you know, disregard them mm-hmm. or or place them in a home and never think about them again or get their stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really from a place of wanting to preserve and honor them. Mm-hmm. Then the conversation changes, the feeling changes, and families come together. And that's what I'm here for. Oh, this is so good. All right. So we've come to the point in the show where we um, do our moments from the valley. And this is when you share something that um, was a very low point in either your career or personal life. And, you know, what that moment was, how you made it through and what was waiting for you on the other side. So before we have you share your moments from the valley, we're going to take a quick break, give you some time to get your thoughts together. And we are going to move right into our WBB health tip with Dr. Tia Hill. Stay with us. It's time for our Woman Behind the Business Health Tips with Dr. Tia Hill. And today we are going to talk about a little bit of mental health. Specifically, Dr. Hill, what are we going to talk about today? Um, the effects of the shootings and different things on our on our kids and ourselves from the social media. All right. So talk to me. I think that one thing I would definitely like for all of our viewers that are as women with their children to know is that talking to your children about um, their fears 
if they have a little bit of anxiety or they're nervous about going to school because they're afraid that there could be a shooter. I think that is a very healthy conversation to have. I think also knowing what your plan is to do if there was a shooting and what you would, what you know, you guys' protocol would be is also effective. Um, understanding that grieving and pain is natural and that it's a process, but also fighting through the anxiety so that we're not you know, operating in a fear of, in a state of, uh, what is it going to happen? Is mm-hmm. it going to happen? But more like life, our seasons and times have changed. And so anything at any given point could occur. Now, how would you recommend starting that conversation, especially with your children? Different age groups, I think, require different things, but especially with your teenagers, just asking, you know, did you hear about the shooting? Um, what are your thoughts on it? Do you know anyone who carries a gun? Any of your friends talking about homicidal ideologies? And and the thing about it is that this reportedly this young man had already been saying certain things. Mm-hmm. So people were on alert. Um, noticing if your child's behavior is different. Have they become extremely withdrawn? Um, even Not even a, a child is a peer, a co-worker who used to be very active, bubbly, now starting to be more withdrawn, less attentive, um, being very sad. And then all of a sudden one day coming in, just extremely happy in a very grandiose measure. Um, That's also a good telltale sign of either someone who is thinking about suicide or has planned something. What are some of the things, and and I appreciate one of the things that you you mentioned was um, just asking, Mm -hmm. like, do you know anyone that has a gun? Do you know of anyone that you think might need some help? Outside of those like conversations, as a parent, what are some things that we should be aware of? Not even just as a parent. I'm going to say, as someone in society, and we're trying to be good stewards of society, right. um, whether that's when we go to work, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that I know you mentioned, like, you know, their their personal behavior. Are there other things that we should be attentive to um, between our kids family members, as well as coworkers. I think that we are always in the move of life. And so we're going, going, going. Definitely one simple thing is just saying, checking on somebody, just saying, hey, are you okay? How's your day? Giving that extra five minutes, um, you would be surprised. It goes so far. Um, as, uh, as well as also just being alert of your circle um, and how you talk. Oftentimes we may talk to someone and it may be very short or very rasp and you're like, oh, and to you it was nothing, but to them it was every single thing. Mm. So I think if we are always trying to practice being a good steward in every aspect of our lives, we'd be surprised. Now that raises another great point is that a lot of times we're in a rush rush, Right. Mm -hmm. right? We're rush rush. And I can say I'm guilty of this as well. What are some things that we can do to even just slow down? To be more cognizant. Right. I think the one thing is just realizing that it's either going to happen or it's not. Mm -hmm. And I think we are always, we're in a society where we're connected to our cell phones and we have these schedules and this, that, and the other that we are making ourselves adhere to that we don't ever take time to just stop and smell the roses or even be present in the moment. And so one of the things that people with depression or anxiety or grief feel is that they're not, they don't ever get to enjoy the moment. They're always trying to pull themselves out of a very low pit. And so I think that if we understood that it's just okay to be still, 
It's okay to slow down and it's okay to enjoy that moment. I think we'd be surprised. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for this mental health moment, um, Dr. Hill. And for more information, you can definitely visit us online at wbbtalk.com. Okay, we're back. All right, Lisa, you're up. You ready? Sure. Okay, go ahead. Well, I lost my mother relatively early. Um, My father had already passed away. And my mother was just the most loving, giving person. She had her master's in social work. I saw her, you know, over the years, if there was a mother um, disciplining her child maybe a little too strongly, my mother would, in a very kind of loving way, step in and assist. Um, Just social justice, stronger families, loving families, um, that was my mother's entire focus. She was um, uh, acting supervisor over the homeless shelters, family homeless shelters in the District of Columbia for many years. And I just saw how compassionate she was about those types of things. So um, when I say that I lost my mother, she um, had a stroke and also was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And so those conversations, those wonderful conversations and the great advice she could give and um, just sharing of herself with the community, um, you know, we started to lose bit by bit. And that was very difficult to see um, and to experience. And it was difficult for her to experience as well. So, but my mother raised me to be a strong woman and um, she was such a big planner. And I think that's where I started with all of this. Um, she gave us her estate documents when we were in high school. And we were like, ew, we don't <laughs> want those. But because we had them, um, because she established long-term care insurance when it was first sold in the early 90s through American Express, it was not even like a traditional insurance product yet. Mm-hmm. She was so prepared and so thoughtful about these things and so honest with herself um, that we didn't skip a beat. We had all the resources necessary to care for her. We knew what her wishes were. She talked to us much more than we had wanted to know about these things, but we suddenly realized, and I say we, I have a younger sister, Angela, Um And that's how I made it through. Um, I grew up in a a family that had strong faith and that has strong faith. So focusing on my faith, focusing on those lessons learned from my parents and my family, um, those things that I was able to observe, um, that strength in my mother over those years, um, I was able to kind of pull myself up, shake it off, Um, understand that I had a role, a responsibility, um, and that she trusted me enough to place me in this role, Mm -hmm. Um, made me pull through um, and be able to pull through and to see her through and to help to care for her for about 12 years. Wow. Um, mm -hmm. And how old were you when you were caring for your mom? Oh, um, Throughout my kind of 
mid 30s okay. and 40s. Mm-hmm. <sighs> yeah, caregiving is definitely not, you know, for the it's, faint of heart. Exactly. It's a, well, people don't realize it's a full time job. Mm-hmm. You're making decisions. It's, you know, a little different than caring for a child, though there are some similarities. Mm-hmm. But it's an individual with all of these decisions to make. Um, and so in that way, it's, you know, double mm-hmm. um, caring for a child because you're having to make all the financial decisions, all the asset decisions, all the health care decisions for another individual in addition to your children, mm-hmm. yourself, your spouse, your right. family. Right. Okay. And how did that experience help you or hurt you in your business? It helped tremendously. Um, Obviously, uh, I would have preferred things to be different, but it helped me because I truly understand the provisions that work within your estate planning documents. Because not only have I helped to establish these for so many clients, um, kind of in a third-party kind of way, I have seen these documents at work. I know what truly works when you are confronted with decision-making and you have, for instance, a a medical facility that wants to redirect you in another um, direction Mm -hmm. and you have to learn to be a very strong advocate and you need the tools to be able to do that. So I know those provisions that need to be in there for you to truly be effective. Do you ever feel yourself getting too close to some of your clients and helping them through their advocating? I I don't know about too close. There are, you know, some clients you become closer with than others. Um, and, you know, I've been to uh, you know, many funerals and, and I've been to many hospital beds. And I'm not so sure that that's, you know, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if... Uh, if I could no longer move forward with my work because of those types of relationships, then that would be too far. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could see that could Inherence. happen with, mm-hmm. um, you know, certain individuals. But, um, no, you have to have your boundaries and you have to know that even though you may become a friend of the family, um, you know, and, and truly a collaborator and partner, um, that the family has to have the space to make their decisions as well. And, you know, sometimes some mistakes too. Okay. All right. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your testimony with us and your moment from the Valley and, and being our guest. This was like such an array of information. Um, And I love how your moment from the Valley brought us back to how we first started the show. Um, yeah, I think that it was a wonderful. Thank you so much for well, being I our guest. I truly love sharing. Thank you. <laughs> um, before we go, would you like to share your contact information in case our guests would like to reach out to you for services? Sure. Find us at thewealthcounselor.com or defininglegacygroup.com. And all of the contact information, all of our social media sites um, can be found there. We'd love to connect with you. So. Get in touch. And what about the Rotary Club DC? How can people follow that Absolutely. organization? Absolutely. DCRotaryClub.org 
find us there. You can find our list of speakers, so you'll know when you want to come and visit us. You'll find membership applications. You'll find um, a lot of information about our history. You'll also find uh, December 1, the applications for the community service grants. Um, We also do international grants for international um, nonprofit organizations, so wealth of information there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, again, thank you so much for being with us today, Lisa. Thank you. All right. That's the show for today. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the woman behind the business spotlight section. And of course, follow us on social media at wbbtalk. And don't forget about the woman behind the business retreat that's coming up November 24th through 28th at the British Colonial Hilton in Nassau, Bahamas. You can learn more about WBB at wbbtalk.com. And you can also register for the retreat at wbbtalk.com slash registration. A special thank you to our show producer, Cal Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. Until next time, stay blessed.